when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David. listening to Just Pod Baby, a Las Vegas Raiders podcast brought to you by silverandblacktoday.com. And now your host, Evan Gross. Let's go, Raider Nation. Welcome back to Just Pod Baby on the Week 9 recap episode. It's another Victory Monday. That's two in a row. The Raiders did survive a second-half scare and by the Los Angeles Chargers, but they did hold on for the 31-26 win to improve their record to 5-3. and three. Just Pod Baby is brought to you by Silver and Black Today, and I do want to remind you that support for the show is brought to you by Manscaped. If you're looking for the very best in men's below-the-waist grooming, look no further. Manscaped has their new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. It's premium product, and you won't be sorry that you purchased it. If you're looking to save yourself some money, use the promo code PODBABY to get 20% off plus free shipping. I'm telling you, you do not want to hesitate. Your balls will thank you. All right, let's bring in our co-host for tonight. He is the other half of the East Coast Division of Silver and Black today. Coming at you from Brooklyn, New York, my guy Mo Moten. Thanks for joining me again, Mo. That is uh that was quite the thrilling victory for the Raiders. How are you feeling? Well, first of all, it feels like a, a late summer evening and not a not a fall one but that, that's besides the point in november but um i'm feeling good i know raiders fans were at the edge of the seats yesterday uh watching the replay and watching to see if they were going to win or lose that game people thought the Chargers were going to flip the script charges known for blowing leads at the end of games and people thought that was going to be the raiders fate turns out the replay was in the Ra- on the raiders side this time and the raiders come away with a slim but tight win yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I actually put a tweet out during the game. Uh, it was when the, the Chargers were starting to make their comeback. Uh, the tweet said, you know, it, it, when teams put themselves in positions enough times to win games, eventually they're going to figure it out. And I thought that might be the case yesterday. Obviously, we, we know that, that the Chargers came up short. And uh, we're going to get into all of that right now. So let, let's get this show kicked off. Let's start our recap. We didn't do the recap uh, the way we normally do last week but we're, we're back this week so if you're ready mo let's get let's get going absolutely ready all righty it was the 122nd meeting between the raiders and chargers the first time though in the new sofi stadium the scoring got started when the raiders uh second possession of the game Devonte booker took a handoff from the t- chargers 23 yard line and ran untouched down the sideline to the end zone led by a pulling Gabe Jackson and Rodney Hudson to give his team an early 7-0 advantage but Mo, the big play on the drive came on the previous play on 3rd and 10. It was Jalen Richard who was lined up at running back he ran a great route uh, to get himself open for a big gain of 19. Talk to us about the play. Yeah, basically uh, Marshall Lerf was gloating about this on the broadcast. Basically, he loved the route that Rashard ran. Pretty sharp, stuck his foot in the ground going inside. He gets Rashard Jenkins to bite on the fake, then goes back outside, and he's hard to bring down. He was evading tacklers. Turns out that was his biggest play of the game on that 19-yard catch, but it was a big one on that drive to keep the keep the chains moving. And Jalen Rashard, the forgotten man in that backfield, but getting done in the passing game. 
Now, following the Booker TD, the Chargers would answer back with a scoring drive of their own. They converted twice on third downs to extend their drive. Keenan Allen was the recipient of three passes for 33 yards on the drive. Uh, and on fourth and one from the Raiders' five, it was Kalen Balaj who, who got into the end zone to even it up at seven all. Uh, again, punts were traded by both team, teams. Carl Nassa picked up his first full sack of the season, pinning the Chargers back in their own end zone, which gave the Raiders a great uh, field position after the punt return. Starting on the Chargers' 44-yard line, the offense needed only six plays to add another touchdown to the board. Uh, Mo, it was Josh Jacobs who took it in for 14 yards out. There were a couple of really nice blocks on the run. Tell us what you saw. Yeah, people thought Jason Witten was pretty much washed. I know he's not that involved in the in the passing game, but he gets a nice block on his guy at the line of scrimmage. Alec Ingo had the key block there to spring Josh Jacobs. He puts Kaiserweight on his back, which cleared the way for Jacobs to go for that touchdown, 14 yards. Another good job by Raiders running backs getting involved on that drive. Al Gingle did uh, leave the game with an injury to his ribs. Uh, he was in the hospital last night. Sounds like he's going to be okay, though. Uh, Gruden did talk about him in his press conference today. Uh, now, much like after the Raiders' first touchdown, the Chargers' offense would respond with a scoring drive of their own. Max Crosby got himself a quarterback sack on first down, and despite an offensive P.I. on Jalen Guyton uh, that resulted in a loss of 10 yards, the Chargers were able to convert on third and 16. Mike Williams caught a slant for a 19-yard gain, but Mo, I think the refs missed a call on this one. Talk to us about it. Yeah, um, there, I mean, there are some mixed opinions here. I, I probably, you probably would have been screaming at me on the TV because I probably wouldn't have called this. Because I, actually, I see this a lot. Some people call it a rub play. Some people call it a pick play. It's very NBA-like. Uh, Hunter Henry basically gets the pick on, on I believe it's, I believe it's Amik Robinson who's out there for the few snaps that he was. And doesn't see Hunter Henry, runs right into him, allows Mike Williams to go free down the middle of the field and get that catch. Again, I mean, you can call that play, I guess, more times than not. Different people are going to have different opinions about it. But the rest let it go, and it was a catch by Mike Williams for a big play. Yeah, Justin Herbert and company took advantage of the what I perceived as a, as a missed call. Two plays later, Herbert hooked up with Keenan Allen on a 27-yard touchdown. It looked like there may have been a, a breakdown in coverage on the play. What did you see that happened, and, and who do you think was to blame? Yeah, I'm going to pin this on Eric Harris, and I'll just explain. First of all, Keenan Allen gets off the line of scrimmage. I believe it's a Marcus Joyner gets a jam on him. Three Raiders defenders run over, Jay, run over to Jalen Guyton leaving Keenan Allen wide open. Um, <laughs> miscommunication there, basically. John, It's John Abram back there. Eric Harris is back there. And I believe John Abram thinks that Eric Harris is going to follow um, Keenan Allen. Doesn't. He kind of turns around and goes after Jalen Guyton. And, and it's too much ground for, for John Abram to cover to get back to Keenan Allen, who's wide open in the corner of the end zone. Different people are going to break this down different ways of who to bl- who's to blame. But I think Eric Harris was the guy who was supposed to come over the top with Keenan Allen after the jam to line of scrimmage. Uh, of course, um, again, people are going to have their opinions, but uh, I think this is on Eric Harris. Now, at this point, the score was tied 14-all, and there was only 19 seconds left on the clock in the first half. And with two timeouts in his pocket, 
John Gruden wanted to be aggressive here, and it cost him because with 12 seconds to go on on, on second down, uh, Derek Carr had the ball stripped away by Jerry Tillery, and the Chargers did recover. They ended up kicking a 45-yard field goal to take a 17-14 lead going into half. I thought it was a little foolish at uh, at the time to, to drop back and pass on second down with only 12 seconds to boot, uh, before half. You're on your own 32-yard line. You have two backup tackles on there. Normally, I like to see Gruden being aggressive, but what are some of your thoughts on, on the decision to, to not just kneel on it and, and go into the the half yeah you took the words right out of my mouth everything you just said is absolutely right you got your backup tackles in the game it's 12 seconds left you're on your own 32 yard line why would you go for it just take the you know kneel the ball go in the halftime the other thing i want to add is you're going to get the ball after the half like you're you're going to start off with the first possession so there's no need to get greedy in that position and the raiders paid for it yeah, and it nearly came back to, to bite him in the butt there later in the game. Uh, the second half got off to a good start. Jalen Richard had a, a, a great return, uh, 44 yards. After a 10-yard gain by Josh Jacobs on first down, threatening to go three and out, the Raiders were faced with a third and 10, and that's when Derek Carr threw a dime to deep threat Nelson Aguilar for the 45-yard touchdown to give Las Vegas the 21-17 lead early in the third quarter. We've seen this combination many times this year. Aguilar continues to show up and make plays, big plays for his quarterback. Yeah, I tweeted this is uh, Aguilar is basically doing what many expected Henry Ruggs to do when he got in, when he got to the Raiders, but it's Aguilar who's extending, the, who's stretching the field and getting the big plays. Basically, this is route running 101. I, I've seen this plenty of times watching film on a Derek Carr to Nelson Aguilar touchdown pass. Basically, Aguilar starts out going inside in, inside the numbers, then cuts back outside, flattens his root, gets a step on Casey Hayward, who cannot get a step on him and. Tries to get his hand in there, but it's too late. Aguilar gets an easy touchdown catch. It was Aguilar's fifth receiving touchdown. He does lead the team in that department. The first drive of the second half for the Chargers resulted in a three and out. Isaiah Johnson held Mike Williams to a a short gain on third and six to force the punt. Johnson filled in nicely for Trayvon Mullen, who left the game with an injury. It was the first real extended playing time for Johnson. More on his performance later on. Now, after forcing the punt, the Raiders displayed some complimentary football, adding another score on their ensuing drive. The play that made it all possible was on third and four from the Las Vegas 31-yard line. Derek Carr hooked up with his guy, Hunter Renfro, on a big chunk play of 53 yards. Again, we've, we've seen Carr use his legs more and more this season. Talk to us about what you saw on this play. Yeah, this is the first play of I, I want to call the drive yesterday that got uh, that got me hyped. If it didn't get anyone else hyped, it got me hyped. But uh, basically, this is Derek Carr in the sandlot in the backyard, scrambling around to extend plays to get time. Hunter Renfro, if you watch him, he breaks his route off twice. He breaks it off at the 35-yard line, breaks it off again at the 50-yard line. Uh, Carr doesn't see him either time, but he does keep the play alive, and Renfro keeps the play going downfield. And they're able to hook up for a big three-yard catch, as you just mentioned. Again, that was a big drive because three three plays later, Carr leaps for a first down. uh, And then he throws a touchdown pass to Darren Wallace. So that play, that drive, I think, was the drive of the day. Absolutely, Mo. You took the words right out of my mouth. Two plays later, it was Carr again using his legs on third and ten. He took off up the middle of the field, dove over a tackler. 
uh, trying to pick up the first down. He did do so. It was very similar to the run that he had against New Orleans in 2016. You love to see it. It's what many of the great quarterbacks do in this league, extend plays, run for first downs. Following that first down run, Carr did hook up with tight end Darren Waller in the back of the end zone for a two-yard touchdown pass. It was a beautiful uh, ball. It was placed in the perfect spot to his 6'6 tight end. The Raiders now led the game 28-17 with just 7.49 to play in the third quarter. The Chargers took over, desperately needing some points on their next drive. Jonathan Abram and Eric Harris were guilty of allowing a 50-yard throw and catch from Justin Herbert to Tyron uh, Johnson. Abram was in perfect position to make the play, but just was not able to do so. But he would make up for it two plays later. He got his hands on a a ball that was intended for tight end Donald Parham. And uh, that play very well could have uh, been a touchdown. So it was a it was a, a touchdown saving play by Abram. Looking back on how the game played out, Mo, how big was it for the defense there to hold the Chargers to a field goal? Well, if you look at the sequence, remember the Chargers wind up going for two on on the on a touchdown drive in the fourth quarter. Now had that now had Abram not saved that touchdown on that play. The Chargers wouldn't have to have gone for two. They could have comfortably just kicked the extra point. And on that on that last drive of the game, which we'll talk about in a second, Chargers wouldn't have to need a need a touchdown to get ahead. They could have just kicked the field goal to possibly win that game. So again, it's it's just game of, of points and inches and yards. And you have to save a touchdown when you can, instead of giving up a touchdown, give up a field goal, which helps the Raiders down the line, helps them win that game. With the score now 28-20, the Raiders' offense stalled out a bit with a punt on their next possession. The Chargers took advantage of that with a a really long 12-play, 82-yard drive that resulted in a touchdown. The Raiders' defense offered little resistance on the drive. They thought they got the stop they needed on third and goal from the nine, but Corey Littleton was flagged for a defensive holding. The penalty gave Los Angeles a fresh set of downs. On the next play, Justin Herbert connected with uh, running back Gabe Cabers on a nicely designed throwback screen pass it was a heck of a throw by uh by herbert tell us uh, about the touchdown play yeah th- this play had my jaw drop a little bit um <laughs> basically herbert reels back max crosby's bearing down on him. he kind of does a fadeaway. he herbert does get her on a play but he puts the ball up in the air high enough and allows neighbors to get under it and get that touchdown that four-yard touchdown that keeps the charges in the game Again, you you, don't, you rarely see a quarterback throw a cross like that and, and actually complete the play. Usually that's a pick going the other way. Uh, Herbert connects and, and the Chargers are still in it. Now, as you alluded to just a minute ago, Herbert was was slow to get up on the play, so Tyrod Taylor did step in for the, the two-point conversion attempt, which was unsuccessful, and the score was now a very narrow 28-26 Raiders lead. With 9.04 left in the game, the Raiders would take over, but once again would be forced to punt after only three plays. But on the punt return, Chargers return man A.J. Hill coughed it up, and the veteran Kyle Wilbur for the Raiders was there to fall on it. A major, major turn of events in the game. The Raiders' offense would go back on the field. They would add a Daniel Carlson 31-yard field goal to extend their lead to 31-26, and the Chargers would need a touchdown to win now. Uh, And they would have to go 75 yards in only 4 minutes and 37 seconds to make it happen. They were able to matriculate the ball down the field all the way to the Raiders' four-yard line. It looked like Los Angeles might finally pull off a close one on second and goal. With five seconds left, Herbert threw one up to Mike Williams. It was a jump ball. He appeared to make the catch but was unable to hold on to the ball when he came down to the ground. 
Isaiah Johnson was in coverage. He fought with Williams all the way down to the ground, making the catch very difficult for Williams. Williams landed hard on his head, and he had to leave the game. And all of this uh, led to one final play left in the game with only one second on the clock. Again, Justin Herbert was was picking on Isaiah Johnson, who was out there on an island versus the 6'8", Donald Parham. Uh, it was a jump ball throw, and Parham was able to, to make the catch, or so we thought. Johnson was, again, right there in coverage, right where he had to be. He fought with Parham through the catch. The Chargers were celebrating as if they won the game. But as we know, all scoring plays are reviewed. And upon review, we saw the ball did come out of Parham's hands. The ruling on the field was overturned. It was reversed. The Raiders got the win, 31-26. It was a, a crazy finish, but the Raiders did pull out the win. That's two wins in a row now. They improved to 5-3. and three. Before we get into some of the other discussion, though, surrounding the game, I've got to ask you about the, the final two plays by Isaiah Johnson. A lot of people have been calling for him to get some more playing time. He made the most of his opportunities yesterday with 50 snaps. What are some of your thoughts on the two big plays by Johnson and, and just his performance overall on Sunday? Well, just a few things stick out to me. First of all, at one point, both teams were celebrating a win. It, it felt like the presidential election this year, both sides celebrating. Yeah, yeah. But, um, to, one other thing that stuck out to me was Justin Herbert, as you as you briefly alluded to, knew where he was going with the football. He saw the matchup with Isaiah Johnson, with Mike Williams, and with Parham, and he immediately, no hesitation, went went over there to that matchup to see if he can get that jump ball. Didn't work out either time, but what I noticed about Johnson is he played the receiver and not the ball. Sometimes people would prefer you play the ball because you can see it coming in, you can knock it down. But Johnson did a good job of getting his hands up in there and just keep fighting through the catch and and neither Mike Williams nor Parham were able to complete the full motion of the catch and come down with it. The ball, you can see the ball come out in both in both cases. No one lays out for a football like Mike Williams. I'm surprised he didn't reel that in. But again, it, it came out at the end. And then with the second with the second uh, pass, it was pretty much the same thing. Parham thought he had it, but you can see at the end, it, it, the ball kind of squirts through his legs. John Abram was kind of there to see it and wave it off to say no catch. And again, Raiders fans are at the edge of the seats, but Johnson comes through with it and, and he was excited. He was emotional after the game and Gruden praised him, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And of course, he, he wasn't perfect. I mean, this is the first time he's had a, a big workload in his career, his pro career in a regular season game. But he did the job and he did well in the clutch when the Raiders needed him to break up a pass and, and just stay with it. Yeah, you mentioned it. He wasn't perfect. He he. Uh, I, I noticed he he gave up a, a couple uh, uh, like slants, you know, to when he was guarding Keenan Allen. But you know, Keenan Keenan Allen is is not the easiest assignment to match up with. He runs very good routes. But I thought overall, in his first extended uh, playing time, I, I thought he held up very well. And I think some of his length. Uh, really kind of showed up in those last two plays there where he was able to to go up and be a little bit physical with with a couple of those big receivers and you know really when you look back at the the career I mean it hasn't been a, a long career for Johnson yeah he was a rookie last year but um He's in his second year. He was selected in the fourth round. You remember Gruden referred to him as the steal of the draft for the Raiders at one point, and he dealt with injuries last year. He never was really able to get his season up and running. And, and this year, uh, during the the training camp, during training camp, I was calling him my dark horse candidate to win the starting job opposite of Mullen. So I I had a lot of confidence in this guy. Obviously, that didn't happen. But um, prior to yesterday, Johnson had only played 
in 44 snaps throughout his career. Uh, and then I mentioned Sunday he played 50. So a huge jump in snaps for him. And um, one of the other things that I learned today, I'm not sure if you heard it, Mo, but after the game, uh, Johnson talked about one of his former teammates and close friends at the University of Houston. He died recently. Uh, so he was really having a tough week. So, uh, you know, to go out there and, and perform so well when you got a lot going on in your personal life, um, you know, I thought that was that was commendable. And I do think he earned, in my opinion, he earned himself some more playing time going forward. Now, um, I don't know the, the severity of Mullen's injury. It sounds like he's just had some uh, tight hamstring. So hopefully he's not out too long. And it sounds like Damon Arnett could be back very soon. But I would imagine Johnson has the trust of his coaches a little bit more. I would say so, but I, I, I tweeted this during the game. It shouldn't have taken an injury to Mullen to get Isaiah Johnson back on the field. I think the whole Silver and Black Today crew, you, me, Scott, and Q, we were all talking about Isaiah Johnson deserves some playing time because people got tired of seeing Nevin Lawson get burned on, on the outside. And you mentioned the length of Isaiah Johnson. I believe he's about 6'2", 213. You got Nevin Lawson, who's 5'9", and, and I just can't get the image of Nevin Lawson and Rob Gronkowski in the end zone a few weeks ago. But I, I think Isaiah Johnson's length is something to use. I know he's a former wide receiver. He's pretty. He's kind of new to the position playing corner, so he's going to make some mistakes, as you just mentioned. But you only get better with experience. You got to go out there and play in order to improve. And I think the Raiders should give him a few snaps. But I will say that's going to be hard for him if Mullen comes back. As you mentioned, uh, Gruden said that he has a tight hamstring. Uh, Gruden also said that he expects Dave, Damon Arnett to come back to practice this week. On the pot, he's optimistic about that. So if those two guys are back, I don't see where Isaiah Johnson will get his snaps because, as we know, on the slot, uh, that's Joyner's territory. So unless there's another injury, we probably won't see Isaiah Johnson for extended snaps. But it's good to know that he can step in when called upon. Absolutely, especially this year with all the the injuries that have occurred and the COVID uh, lists and whatnot, it's, it's good to have guys that you're confident in, you know, as your backup roles. I do want to touch on a couple other things here before we go on to our our break. The next topic I want to ask you about is the offensive line, and we we touched on them a bit last week. It was announced before the the game that Trent Brown would be out at least another month, and. I mean, just looking at the calendar, Mo, four weeks from Sunday would take us up to uh, December 6th. That is week 13. So that sounds like that could be the best case scenario for Trent Brown. Who knows uh, if that's when he will make his return or not. But right tackle is going to be a concern going forward. Now, yesterday, Colton Miller was was unable to go. So it was Sam Young at right tackle and Brandon Parker at left tackle. I think... They caught a big break when Joey Bosa ended up missing the game with the concussion. But overall, what did you think about the play of the line with three backup players in the lineup? For having three backup offensive linemen, I think the Reds did a pretty good job, especially with running the ball, which we'll talk about briefly. But uh, early in the game, it seemed like the Raiders didn't want to kind of didn't want to test. Uh, long developing plays because they knew they had their backup offensive tackles in the game. So you didn't see Carr throw a lot. Some people tweeted at me that, you know, did a wide receiver catch a pass yet? And it's because the Rays are focusing on running the ball because, uh, again, they were kind of cautious about their offensive line having three backup uh, players there. But I think they held up okay. It wasn't great. I believe Brandon Parker gave up two pressures. Nothing, nothing uh, dramatic, nothing uh, that was detrimental to the team winning the game. And as we talked about, Sam Young gave up that strip sack at the end of the first half. 
Uh, I get a little nervous with Sam Young out there. I, I think the key here is you hope that Richie Incognito can come back so he can get back to his position at left guard, and then Denzel Good can kick out to right tackle, assuming that Trent Brown is out for at least a month. So there's some leeway there, but you, you just hope that you can get some guys back healthy. Of course, Colton Miller, you want him to get better with his ankle because he's been a, a Pro Bowl caliber left tackle over there. So you just hope that the Raiders can get healthy at this point, and, and hopefully they can shuffle some bodies around and keep the offensive line solid. Yeah, and you you just talked about it, Sam uh, Sam Young. You know, I I don't feel real confident in him. He I I think he's really struggled at, at this point. And I know this may sound crazy, but I actually feel a little bit more confident in Brandon Parker than I do Sam Young. So that that tells you how how I, I feel about Young. Um, and, and I think the biggest storyline going on with this team right now, they've got a lot of good things going for them, but I, I think the health of the old line continues to be the, the major storyline and how long can they continue to sustain the losses right now? That's going to be a big question. Getting Incognito back and Miller back soon would, would make me feel a lot better. Uh, but until then, they're just going to have to con- continue to, to piece it together, especially at right tackle while Trent Brown remains out. And again, who knows when he'll be coming back. But um, it's worrisome. It really is. Uh, I, I don't know how many more injuries they can handle at this point. I mean, think about if 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 Sam Young was to go down again. I mean, who's going to play tackle at this point? Or do, do you push Denzel Good out to tackle and you move John Simpson into guard? There's there's so much uncertainty, and, and I and I hope we don't have to get to that point. But uh, I would definitely pay very close attention to the status of, of Colton Miller this week in practice, and because uh, again, if he can't go this week, that's going to be another big storyline. But uh, Mo, let's get our first break out of the way, and when we return, you and I will touch on some other topics from the game and, and also take a quick look ahead to Week 10, another divisional game against the Broncos. We'll be right back. Okay, we are back on this Victory Monday episode of Just Pod Baby. Mo Moten and Evan Grote, we're breaking it all down for you. Now, Mo, I've got some other topics for you I'd like to discuss uh, with you. Let's start with Devontae Booker and Josh Jacobs. Uh, Booker led the, the the Raiders running backs in rushing yards yesterday with 68 yards on 8 carries to Josh Jacobs, 65 yards on 14 carries. Booker has really emerged these last two games, and when you when you think about the free agent acquisitions that were made to this team this year, Booker has been as important as any. What do you think? Yeah, he's definitely a solid number two. Again, I mentioned this last week. A lot of people felt like the Raiders should have gone out and got another running back uh, because there wasn't a lot of faith in Booker because he hadn't done a lot in Denver before he came to the to the Raiders. So there there was some caution there, but he's shown to be a good compliment to Josh Jacobs or at least someone who could fill in if Josh Jacobs is ill or at less than 100%. Josh Jacobs went into Sunday's game. He had, I believe, an illness, and he had, I believe, it was a knee injury. Uh, Don't quote me on that. But um, basically, Josh Jacobs wasn't 100%. And that's why Devontae Booker was involved very, very early. And he looks spry coming off the side. I believe he had a, a 23-yard touchdown run, and he, lo- he looked pretty good hitting the corner and, and turning on the Jets. He's not known for his speed, more of a tough in-between-the-tackles runner, but uh, he showed he turned on the Jets, and he, he, was sh- he continues to show that he's a solid compliment to Jacobs out there. So if the Raiders want to limit Jacobs going down, going down a stretch, if there's an injury, if there's a reason to do so, I think they can feel comfortable with Devontae Booker in the backfield. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just going back to the the preseason for a moment, 
one of the big stories was who was going to be the number two running back. That was a big question mark for this team, and many people didn't think that 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 guy was even on the roster at that point. But you know, much to our surprise, he was. And I and I think Booker is, is just doing a great job. He fits really nicely with this offense. And you mentioned just a great compliment to Josh Jacobs. Now, speaking of Josh Jacobs. The Raiders are looking to lessen his workload. You know, he, he he dealt with the illness this week, the knee injury. It seems like he's always listed on the injury report as most running backs in the NFL are. And uh, on top of that, he is going into the game. He was second in the NFL in carry, so he's he's got a he's had a large workload this year. And um, you know, he did carry the ball thirty one times last week. So I, I think it's a smart move by the Raiders to kind of look to try to protect him a little bit when they can. You want to keep him fresh. We know that the offense, it it all it all starts with him. Uh, you want to keep him healthy so that you can lean on him during those big games down the stretch of the season. Definitely. He's on pace for over 300 carries, I believe. So you want to be careful with his workload. And again, you want to mix in Booker, even if you have to give Jalen Richard some carries. I know Theo Riddick has had his little flashes here and there, but uh, you want to be careful about Jacobs just because you want him healthy. Because you mentioned it, as good as Derek Carr is playing, as good as that passing offense is, Gruden loves to run the ball. He loves to establish a run, grind teams down at the line of scrimmage, and pound them late in the game and, and close it out. And as I said on this show many, many times, Jacobs is the closer in this offense. So you need him out on the field. You need him healthy. Uh, so I would, I would, I would hope that his uh, carries go down to about, I would say. You know, 14, 15 carries per game because right now he's averaging 20 per game. So I think you want to get him down, you know, five carries just to just to keep him preserved for the entire season. Yeah, I agree with you. I think 14, 15 would be a, a very good number for him. Now, I do want to move on to another player who has not been leaned on much this season, and that is Henry Ruggs. We spent some time discussing him last week. I continue to have concerns with him and his usage, and it's it's definitely not a matter of talent with him. I just I just I think he's definitely shown enough. Uh, with the opportunities that he's been given, uh, he's made some great plays. The issue for me is he's just not getting the ball. Sunday he had zero catches on three targets. That's a problem to me. And I've I've had some discussions with with people on Twitter telling me that even though he's he's not catching passes, he's he's still affecting the game by drawing attention of the defenses. He you know he opens up things for other players. I get all that, but at a certain point we need to see some catches. And, and I know that. Um, he he will most likely he's never going to have your your prototypical wide receiver one numbers he he's not he's probably never going to be a guy who gets you eight nine catches a game uh you know 12 targets that's just not going to be him uh you know he's more of a, a deep threat so maybe it'll be more of like a a four catch day for 80 yards but we're we're not even getting that right now um you know, again, you, you don't draft a guy twelve overall. You take him as the first wide receiver off the board. You don't you don't do that just to use a guy as a decoy. And I know that's not their intentions, but that's kind of what it's what it seems like is happening. It's still very early on, Mo. But and maybe I'm being a little impatient. But is it time to panic just a little bit with rugs? Uh- I wouldn't say it's time to panic. I would say, and this is going to be a very long explanation because I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I I just feel like people need to adjust their expectations of Henry Ruggs. When coming into the 2020 draft, I had Jerry, I had CeeDee Lamb as the number, as the Raiders ideal pick at wide receiver. Then I had Jerry Judy and then 
rugs but then i felt i felt the rays would, would lean toward jerry judy because you know his bama ties and you know how mayak locks likes championship caliber players clemson alabama so i thought the rays would go for jerry judy but i liked cd lamb as, as the top wide receiver the raiders went with speed and i hear a lot of people saying well henry ruggs is supposed to be the raiders version of tyreek hill and and i kept cautioning people if you watched a lot of alabama games i'm not saying i'm the alabama guy here but i watched enough to know that henry ruggs wasn't really a deep threat he wasn't a guy that was going to stretch the field and, and catch 50 yard bombs he was more of a guy that was going to catch it uh 12 yards out and extend the play uh, because on in the box score 50 yard reception is going to look the same whether a guy caught it 50 yards in the air or caught it two yards and ran it 48 so you got to understand that his long plays a lot of his long plays are catch and run plays so i didn't expect him to stretch the field right away a lot of people are going to be disappointed with that i know he has the ability to do that because we saw that with kansas city he has the speed to stretch it but that's not his forte the other thing is at, at alabama i believe He's never had more than 50, never had more than 46 catches in a season. He was never the lead wide receiver at Alabama. That was Jerry Judy. Uh, that was Devontae Smith, at, I, th- I believe, last year. Uh, Henry Ruggs was third, I believe, in receiving yards. He was never really a wide receiver one, per se, the go-to guy. He was more of a, of a I don't want to say icing on the cake, but he was more of an addition. Like He can give you that explosive component and give your offense a lift, but I never saw him as a guy I was going to get 10, 11, 12 targets per game and carry a passing offense. That just wasn't him. The other thing is there is don't need him to do that because I believe Darren Waller and not I believe, but he is Darren Waller is the lead pass catcher on that offense. So he's the guy that people are going to look for. Of course, um, Carr has a rapport with Hunter Renfro already, but people are saying, well, Nelson Aguilar came in this year and he's already uh, earned, seemed to earn more trust than rugs from Carr. And I will, I will say that Gruden talks about this a lot. Nelson Aguilar is a very, very astute route runner. He's very good at that. Not to say that Henry Ruggs is not, but this is a veteran we're talking about, a former first-round pick from the Eagles who comes in, and he know, he just comes in, and you can plug and play him, and he knows what to do. He can play inside, outside. And again, he's just earned the trust of Carr because he has that veteran savvy. Ruggs is just not there yet. But I again, I would not expect Ruggs to ever get to a point where he's getting 12 targets, 10 targets, not even eight targets. I expect Ruggs to be within six to eight targets at most in his career because, again, he's just not that lead wide receiver. He never was that in Alabama. And a lot of people want to compare this and say, well, Josh Jacobs wasn't the lead running back at Alabama either. And look at him. It's a totally different story because with running backs, they're not all in the field at the same time. So they all have a chance to get the ball. With wide receivers, you can put three wide receivers on the field at the same time. There's a reason why Jerry Judy. There's a reason why Devontae Smith got the ball more than uh, Henry Ruggs. And that's not a shade. That's not a slight or shade to Henry Ruggs. It's just to say that he is not that wide receiver one you're expecting to get the ball as the go-to wide receiver. He's just not that. He's the addition to an offense that can give you a lift, but he's not the wide receiver one go-to guy that you would want in a top 12 pick now the Raiders made their choice and they have rugs now so they have to use them to the best ability but if you were looking for that go-to guy that's going to take you through and, and just get a catch if you need it I, I just don't think that was Henry Ruggs that was more of Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb yeah, you know, I was I was taking some notes there as you were talking to Chuck because I had some things I want to mention, and I think you, you you nailed it really. That was a great response by you, and I, and I I'm going to stand by my pre-draft uh, wish list, I guess you'll call it. I, I still think Jerry Judy 
should have been the pick. And then I, I would have went C.D. Lamb second, followed by Henry Ruggs as the third option. But, you know, whatever. That's not what happened. And I'm not going to worry about that at this point. But the first thing that you one of the things that you mentioned that I want to touch on was the relationship with Carr and Aguilar. And we have talked about this in the past before about how Derek Carr... Uh, he has to trust you. I think we saw that back in the day with with Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper. He, you could tell he had more of a a trust in Crabtree at times, especially at, at big moments. He was looking for Crabtree, and I think you're seeing that now with with um, Aguilar. He he seems to have just uh, for whatever reason the the, the uh, rapport right now is better with Aguilar, and I think it's better with Runfro and even Waller. And I think you can just see that it's not quite there yet with rug so that's that's concerning that's something they really need to improve on and I don't know what it's going to take to get them you know on the same page whether it's more reps and practice or whatnot but it's something that seems to be obvious and then the other thing that you touched on that I want to comment on is Ruggs not being the wide receiver one at Alabama and I remember thinking the same thing and I I, I guarantee you I mentioned it on Twitter back during that pre-draft process is you know the, the guy was never even the number one guy for his college team so I had doubts whether or not he could he could do that at the next level and I think you mentioned the good the counter argument to that was was Josh Jacobs and you know I think they're different scenarios but you know, is it fair to say that maybe, maybe Ruggs will never be a, a true number one receiver at the NFL level? I, I think that's fair, and I don't want to. I don't want to send panic waves to Raiders fans listening to this podcast and say, "Oh, Mo is doubting Henry Ruggs already." And I'm not saying that I'm doubting him. I I think it's way too early to panic on Ruggs, especially without a full off season. But I will say is that you people need to adjust their expectations of of his ceiling of what he can be. And, and and again, a lot of people want to bring up the Josh Jacobs things as, as I mentioned, Oh, Josh Jacobs wasn't the league guy, Alabama, but he's the league guy here. But again, as I say, with running backs, most of the time you have one running back on the field. So even, I mean, if you're on the sideline, there's nothing much you can do with Henry Ruggs. You can have three wide receivers or two wide receivers on the field at the same time. There's a reason why Tua was was uh, targeting the other wide receivers more. There's a reason why those quarterbacks were were getting to Henry Ruggs as a third option in those offenses. I, I, again, I'm not saying that Henry Ruggs is not a good football player, not a good not a good wide receiver, but he's more of an explosive. I don't want to say gadget, but a, an explosive component asset to an offense. You're not going to turn to him 12 targets a game and expect him to turn out 150, 200 yards. That's just not him. We just never saw that from him in Alabama. So it's hard. It's unfair to expect that from him on the NFL level with a quarterback who leans on the trust of his of his pass catchers and an offense that's usually a run first offense. So you're just not going to get that production, that high end production out of Ruggs, at least not yet, especially with Darren Waller being the go to guy in that passing game. Yeah, well, one last thing for me on Henry Ruggs. For me, it's not it's very hard not to compare him with Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb because the Raiders did have the opportunity to select anyone they wanted, and I think these three guys because they were the top three wide receivers taken, will be linked together for a long time. But looking at the numbers right now, it's not even close with those two guys. But I think the big thing that that fans at least are going to focus on is that the Raiders are 5-3, and three, and the Cowboys, they're terrible, and Denver is struggling. So it kind of it kind of masks the issue, I think. And perhaps if the Raiders were 3-5, and five, maybe more people would be talking about it. But really quick, I will say this. With CeeDee Lamb... Um, 
with him, I believe that the, the Cowboys actually design plays to get him open because they want to see him get the ball and make plays in, in space. So I think there's a there's a concerted effort there to get him the ball. And with Jerry Judy, his situation is right now he's the wide receiver one because Cortland Sutton is out for the season. So basically, and Noah Fant, their tight end, has been in and out of line because he's had a nagging ankle injury. So basically, Jerry Judy has been that number one guy in that offense, and, and they're projecting him to be that. He's had 10 and 14 targets over the last two uh, weeks. With Henry Ruggs, I think the Raiders picked him up to say, okay, we want this explosive component, but we don't need him to be a wide receiver one. And I, I think... They're not going to tell the fans that. They're not going to say that. But I think when you pick a guy 12th overall, fans are expecting, okay, this guy's going to get the ball a lot. Now, I will say this. They need to get him the ball more because three to five targets a game is not enough. But as I mentioned on last week's podcast, Gruden is kind of putting the, I don't want to say the blame, but the responsibility on Ruggs to also get open. There are times where I think Ruggs is open and Carr has an issue sometimes with turning the ball loose. Sometimes he holds the ball a little too long and that, and that passing window closes. So as you said earlier, I believe that they just need to get on the same page. They'll work on it. I believe it gets better. I wouldn't press the panic button yet, but again, I, I just wouldn't expect 100-yard games on the regular from Henry Ruggs in his career. All right, let's keep this moving. Let's jump over to the defense now. They're coming off a very they they were coming off a very good performance uh, against Cleveland. I, I think they they kind of came back to earth. We saw some spurts where they they made some plays, but overall they they gave up a lot of yards and, and almost blew an eleven point lead. So that that's concerning. You know, if a couple of things had gone the other way, I think that the narrative uh, today could be completely different. Yeah, absolutely. I think the pitchforks would have been out for. Paul Gunther again. I mean, they're still out anyway because people weren't letting Paul Gunther off the hook because Isaiah Johnson had two big plays into that game. But the Chargers racked up 440 yards total. And you mentioned it. Uh, the, the defense came back to earth. I believe we both said on the show last week that we, we're not fully convinced that the Raiders defense had made, had taken a step up in Cleveland that blustery cold weather. Of course, the weather had a factor there, but the Raiders defense is still a problem. Cleveland Farrell showed up. He usually shows up against the Chargers and has a good game. But I, I just want to touch on something with Corey Littleton. And, and Scott texted me during the game. He's like, Corey Littleton is brutal. And I had to agree with him. And I don't know what the issue is. I wrote an article last week saying that they need to kind of lessen his snaps and then slowly ramp it up. I think they just need to focus him on coverage. And then, and then because right now, it seems like tackling is his issue. So you want to maybe put him in coverage, specific duties where you can just cover a tight end, cover a slot receiver, and then ramp up his snaps and give him more early downs and let Raekwon McMillan come down on first and second down because Raekwon McMillan, that's his strength is tackling and coming downfield and stopping the run. Wasn't really Corey Littleton's strength. His is more coverage, but I, I just don't want to see him on the field for over 80% of the plays if he's struggling the way he is because right now it, it's not looking like a good investment and they have to do something about that. Yeah, I think you make a great point there. Maybe, maybe, pull him back a little bit, put less on his plate. You know, we have not seen anything from Raekwon McMillan. I mean, they, they made the trade to acquire him and they haven't really given him a chance. That might be a good idea there to to give McMillan some of those early down uh, snaps and let Littleton just try to focus on one aspect of the game in that, an area where he's supposed to be pretty good, and that, that's uh, pass coverage. I do want to talk about one of the performances on defense that I thought was, was very strong, and that's Nick Kwiatkowski. Uh, he led the way on defense with 13 tackles, and he showed up many times on film. What did you think of the performance and, and just overall what he means to this defense? I think he's a centerpiece to this defense, and I think he had a, he had a great performance. As you mentioned, uh, he was all over the field getting tackles. I believe he had 13 combined, which led the team on the field for 78% of defensive snaps. He had a, had a big stop, I believe, uh, near the goal line. And, and I just... 
I just feel like Nick Kwiatkowski coming in, people didn't expect a lot from him because he was a backup with the Bears. And I said, well, you got to look at his background. And I watched a lot of Bears games. And I said, I think Nick Kwiatkowski is going to be solid. Now, I'm not going to take credit for thinking that he's going to be this good. But I think when he's on the field, the Raiders defense is a lot better. Now, that doesn't say much because the Raiders defense has been struggling. But without him, it could be a lot worse. And I think he he's a key piece to that unit. As the unit grows, hopefully it gets a little better. But with him on the field, I, I believe he's what we thought Corey Littleton would be, which is a difference maker. Of course, he's maybe not as good in coverage. But I think he's pretty decent there. But when he comes downfield and he gets a tackle, he... He's going to get that stop and he's not going to miss a lot of a lot of he's not going to whiff a lot. He's not going to miss a lot of tackles. So he's he's very reliable in the middle of that defense. Yeah, I think there's two players on this defense who when they're not out there, you you can just you can just sense it like you could you could feel it the the energy is not there and that's that's quick uh Kwiatkowski and Abram they're 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 tone setters on the defense and when they're not there there's there's obvious uh you know voids you know on that defense so uh hopefully he'll continue to just cont- continue to get better and just you know lift up this defense and you know he's he's definitely a big part of this team uh, i i do have one final topic mo we're going to keep it going here uh before we call it a night this week let's let's quickly just just take a look at the week 10 opponent uh, it's another divisional rivalry game. Uh, the Denver Broncos—they head to Las Vegas this week. Now the Raiders are one and two at home. They need to do a better job protecting the home turf. They've been very good on the road, but this is another game the Raiders should win. But what do you see as some some of the challenges that the Raiders will face this week against the the Broncos? Well, first of all, they have to contain Jerry Judy. We just talked about him. Um, I know he had, you know he has his drop issues here and there, but he's he's getting the ball a lot and he's really he's really producing. He had a career high 125 receiving yards on Sunday with the touchdown. So he he's getting the ball at a high rate. And if Trayvon Miller's not out there and you got Isaiah Johnson, you wonder how that battle is going to go. And I know if Jerry Judy has a good game, fans are going to say, "See, we should have drafted Jerry Judy." And I wouldn't go that far because uh, again, it, it, these guys, these rookies. Very short way into their careers, long way to go. So I wouldn't go, you know, say, oh, you know, Henry Ruggs is a bust and we, we should have had Jerry Judy. Now, I will say I had Jerry Judy ranked higher than Ruggs, but that's a that's another show. That's for another show. But as far as as a whole, I, I think the Broncos are struggling on both sides of the ball. Um, Garrett Bowles, their left tackle, is playing a little bit better. So I wouldn't expect uh, a ton of pressure there because he is improving. And I believe uh, he's, he's fighting for, I believe, another contract. So. I wouldn't take that for granted with their offensive line. Uh, they're not getting. They're they're just not the same defense, not the same uh, front seven because Von Miller is of course out. He does have a chance to come back later in the year. The Raiders may see him in the season finale, but he's not out there. Bradley Chubb is. Um, Denver's pretty much a mediocre team. I will say the Raiders should watch out for those late game comebacks. Julak almost pulled off another one last week. Of course, the Falcons shut the door on him, but. Don't take Drew Locke for granted. I wouldn't say he's as dynamic as Justin Herbert is, but he's still kind of dangerous if he gets on fire. If he gets the hot hand, he can rack up some points. Of course, Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay are in the backfield, so Ray's going to have to defend that run. Yeah, I, that was a 
pretty good, uh, pretty good preview there. That was great. You covered a lot of stuff. And, and I, you know, one of the things I don't, you know, we didn't, you didn't touch on there was the injuries. They, they have been, uh, banged up quite a bit, like all NFL teams, but I know Drew Locke missed a few games, but since he's returned, they've, they've been competitive in, in most of their games with the exception of the, the Chiefs game, but they've shown the ability to, to put up some points. So it could be a high scoring game. And as they say, when it comes to these division rivalry games, you can throw records out the window. And I believe that will be the case uh, again this weekend in Las Vegas when these two teams come together. So, all right, Mo, uh, another great job uh, with the recap episode this week. Uh, as always, I, I think, thank you for coming on with me. I appreciate you having me on. I think we're going to be back here next Monday after another victory Monday. I don't want, again, I don't want to say I'm just, uh, just discounting the Denver Broncos, but as you said, the Rays have to do a lot better defending their home turf, and I think they will, and they win another game in Las Vegas. All right, everyone, that is going to do it this week for the recap episode. The Raiders are now on a two-game win streak, 5-3 and three overall. They will look to make it three in a row against the Broncos this week. Make sure you tune in later this week to hear my preview of the upcoming game. And for my co-host, Mo Moten, I am Evan Grote. Have a great week, everyone, and as always... Just win, baby.